Book Two, Chapter Sixteen of Lady Bridget in the Never Never Land by Rosa Prayed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirsty. Lady Bridget and Willoughby Maule were alone again. She got up from the long chair, and as she did so, her cigarette case dropped from her lap. He picked it up, and it lay on his open palm, the diamonds and rubies of her maiden initials glistening on the gold lid. They looked at each other across it. I gave you this, he said and you have kept it used it he seemed to gloat over the bauble her fingers touched his hand as she took the case from him and he gave a little shiver of pleasure let me have it i want another cigarette she selected two and gave him one of them they moved to the divan near the fireplace where some red embers remained of the log of sandalwood its perfume lingered faintly in the atmosphere that's good he said it's like you the only thing in the godforsaken desert that is like you. Oh, you don't know me now. Don't I? Well, your husband has given me the chance of knowing you, better, and I warn you that I shall not scruple to avail myself of the opportunity. She shook her head dubiously. Give me a light. He stooped and lit his own cigarette, then, bending, held its tip to her. They both inhaled a few whiffs in silence. Presently, he said, I find it difficult to understand, McKeith. Don't try. You wouldn't succeed. I observe, she added, that you must have become rather friendly at Tunnumborough. Oh, yes, I can generally get on with open-air men. Besides, I wanted him to like me. I wanted him to ask me here. Well, and what do you think of it, now that you are here? Great heavens! What do you imagine that I should think of it? The whole thing seems to me the most ghastly blunder the most horrible anomaly you in these surroundings married to a man so entirely beneath you and with whom you don't get on at all you have no right to say that the thing is obvious though you tried to carry it off before dinner your manner to each other the lack of courtesy and consideration in him his leaving you stop she interrupted there's one thing you must understand i don't mind what you say about yourself i want to hear that but I can't allow you to criticise my husband. I beg your pardon. It isn't easy in the conditions to preserve the social conventions. I will try to obey you. At any rate, you allow me to be frank about myself. It was sweet of you to keep this, more than I could have dared hope for. He fingered tenderly the cigarette case on her lap. I suppose I ought to have sent it back to you, but I didn't want to. You see, it was not like an engagement ring. No, worse luck. Why worse luck? the ring would have been the outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual bond if you had really been engaged to me formally officially engaged you couldn't have thrown me over so easily i throw you over is it quite fair to put it that way no i admit that let us be honest with each other this once this once very well but not at this moment i dare say there will be time for a talk by and by i wait your pleasure there are some things i should like to understand she went on about you about me it doesn't matter which and after all i only want to know about you out of a sort of perverse curiosity that's so like you you always manage to infuse a bitter drop into your sweetness and you could be so adorably sweet if only i could ever have felt sure of you where would have been the use we never could spend an hour together without hurting or annoying each other it's a very good thing for us both that neither cared enough to make any real sacrifice for the other. 
there you wrong me he exclaimed i did care i cared intensely the touch of your hand the very sweep of your dress thrilled every nerve in me i never in all my life loved a woman as i loved you that last day when you walked out of my rooms where i never ought to have gone fancy the properly brought-up english girl you used to hold up to me doing such a shocking thing as to visit you alone in your chambers oh is that colin back again for maul had started visibly at the sound of quick steps mounting to the veranda and mcKeith's towering figure appeared in the doorway looking at them lady bridget turned her head her cigarette in her hand and glanced up at his face what she saw in it might have made a less reckless or less innocent woman feel uneasy she was sure that he must have heard that last speech of hers about visiting maul in his chambers well she didn't care besides colin hadn't the smallest right to resent any action of hers before her marriage she did not turn her hair maul admired her composure bon sang ne peut monter he thought to himself and wished they had been talking in french you look as grim as the statue of the commander said lady bridget what is the matter lady bridget and i have been exchanging unconventional reminiscences put in maul with forced lightness mcKeith took no notice of either remark but strode across the room to the roll-top escritoire where he usually wrote his letters when in his wife's company he extracted a bundle of papers from one of the pigeonholes this is what i came for sorry to have interrupted your reminiscences and he went out again passing along the back veranda maule had got up and was standing at the fireplace lady bridget rose too i'm going to bed we keep early hours in the bush what already he exclaimed in dismay I was up at six this morning. Well, I hope you won't be too uncomfortable with the white ants and the old humpy. They are perfectly harmless. Your room is next to the office, as I dare say you've discovered, and you'll find Colin there, I suppose, with your friend the police inspector. Don't call that man Harris my friend. We've had one or two scraps at each other already. He was pleased to take it for granted that I'm what he calls a new chum and didn't like my showing him that I knew rather better than he does what police administration should be in out-of-the-way districts. Lady Bridget nodded. Then we're both under ban of the law. I detest Harris. Good night. And she flitted through the French window without giving him her hand. The station seemed in a state of unquietude till late into the night. The lowing of the tailing mob in the yard was more prolonged than usual and the horses were whinnying and answering each other down by the lagoon as though there were strangers about lady bridget lying awake and watching through her uncurtained windows the descent of the southern cross towards the horizon and the westward travelling of a moon just out of its quarter could hear the men's voices on the veranda of the old humpy that of ninnis and the police inspector maule seemed to have retired to his own room mcKeith was evidently busy upon preparations for his absence from the station he must have been cleaning guns and pistols. There were two or three shots, which startled and kept her in a state of tension. At last she heard the interchange of good-nights, and the withdrawal of Ninnis and Harris to the bachelor's quarters. Finally her husband came to his dressing-room, not along the front veranda, as would have been usual, but by the back one, through the bathroom. Even this deviation from habit seemed significant of his mood. He would not pass her window. He moved about for a time as if he were busy packing. Then came silence. She imagined him on the edge of the camp-bed, so seldom used, smoking and ruminating. Whiffs from his pipe came through the cracks of the door between the two rooms, and were an offence to her irritated nerves. 
she had grown accustomed to his tobacco but as a rule he did not smoke the last thing at night he had seemed to regard his wife's chamber as a tabernacle enshrining that which he held most sacred and would never enter it until he was cleansed from the grime and dust of the stockyard and cattle camp and had laid aside the associations of his working day that attitude had appealed to all that was idealistic in both their natures and had kept green the memory of their honeymoon it angered her that to-night of all nights he should disregard it in personal details she was intensely fastidious and at some trouble and cost had maintained in her intimate surroundings a daintiness almost unknown out back her room was large and much of its furnishings symptomatic of the women of her class the array of monogrammed tortoiseshell backed brushes and silver and gold topped boxes and bottles the embroidered coverlet of the bed the flowered chintz and soft pink wallpaper the laced cambric garments and silk frilled dressing-gown hanging over a chair when service lacked and there was no one to wash and iron her cambric and fine linen she contrived somehow that the supply should not fail and brought upon herself some ill-natured ridicule in consequence the wives of the Laura squatters thought her stuck up and apart from their kind if they had known how much she wanted sometimes to throw herself into their lives as she had thrown herself into the lives of her east end socialistic friends but the stations were few and far between and the neighbours such as they were left her alone letting her mind drift along side tracks she resented now there having come no suggestion from the breeza downs women that she should accompany her husband and share the benefits of police protection or which appealed to her far more the excitement of what might be going on there of course though there was nothing for her to be nervous about here she wished there might have been any touch of dramatic adventure would be welcome in the crude monotony of her life but the adventure promised to be of a more personal kind suddenly she jumped out of bed and softly slipped the bolt of the door into her husband's dressing-room she did it on a wild impulse she felt that she could not bear him near her to-night he should see that she was not his chattel but perhaps he did not want to come well so much the better in any case she wanted to show him that she did not want him she wondered if he would venture she wondered if he did really care he appeared in no hurry to test her capacity for forgiveness or it might be that the minutes went slowly laden as they were with momentous thought she lay in a tumult of agitation her heart beating painfully under the lawn of her nightgown she had a sense of gasping wonderment she felt as colin had felt that something tremendous had happened and with such bewildering suddenness altering all the conditions between them yet through the pain and bewilderment her whole being thrilled with an excitement that was almost intoxicating like the effect of an insidious drug or the fumes of heady wine she knew it was the old craving for sensation the fatal o'hara temperament awake and clamouring try as she would and she did try in a futile fashion she could not shut off the impression of willoughby maule the sombre ardour in his eyes the note of suppressed passion in his voice there was no doubt that this unexpected meeting had restarted vibrations and that his influence was a force to be reckoned with still if colin had acted differently if he had not behaved so brutally to those poor blacks if his manner to her had been not so hard and overbearing and then his leaving her alone like that with willoughby maule of course he was jealous he had jumped at conclusions what right had he to do so what could he know 
he must suspect her of horrible things his questions had been insultingly dictatorial now he wanted to show her that he flung her off he would not put out a finger to hold her to him had he not said something like that before their marriage it was abominable the whiffs of tobacco smoke came no more he was moving about again she heard him in the bathroom after a minute or two he came to the door and tried to open it biddy he said then in a deep-toned eager whisper mate she sat up in bed she had the impulse to go and open the door but some demon held her back she lay down again on her pillow the bed had creaked he must have known that she was awake he waited a minute or two without speaking knocked very softly she was silent again she heard him moving about in his dressing-room and after a little while she heard him go out passing along the back veranda he did not return it was dawn before bridget dropped into the heavy morning slumber which follows a night of weeping end of book two from the point of view of lady bridget o'hara chapter sixteen